have a I have a horrible voice. You're you're what? listening. <laughs> you're listening. Together. Wait, together. Yeah. You're, you're listening, listening to, to global, global conversation. conversation. <laughs> <laughs> you said conversation, conversation really flat. <laughs> conversation. Do I even say flat? Hey everybody, welcome back to the Global Conversation. Today... Three, one. Because oh, I was good. ready yeah. that time. That that <laughs> you were saying? So today... Uh, today we have something kind of cool. This is brand new for us. Uh, someone reached out to us and said, Hey, we have something that they might be interested in. Would you like to do a podcast with a very special someone? And we said, well, I said no at first. And then Joe was like, shut, yes. <laughs> you made a mistake, Max. Um, but who is it, Becca? Yeah, so um, today we've been chatting with Jeremy. He is a freelance writer and environmental journalist. And we're chatting with him about um, traveling with mental illness. Um, although he travels in a slightly different way to how we travel, um, I think mental illness and travel go kind of hand in hand and how you deal with certain situations. Like everyone finds it stressful no matter what you're doing. He yeah. just has it times 10. Yeah, and the way the way he described... Well, I, he wrote a book about it, and uh, essentially we go through and we talk about the entire book. So, um, so, so yeah, he, he basically explains uh, his trials and tribulations along with it. So without further ado, let's get to it. There we go. Testing, testing, mine. Cool. That sounds great. You're perfect. Um... So, so do you know too much much about us at all, or I did just a little bit of like I saw that you guys had traveled around the world, and yeah, and that... we're really confusing. So it's it's kind of one of those I I don't feel bad if if it, you, you're like what I don't have time, and then just kind of knocked off. So um, for you so yourself, so you're journalist based out of Minnesota, yeah, yeah, environmental journalist, yes, environmental journalist. So that's really mm-hmm. interesting. Like why like why did you go towards? Because I noticed like everything's all about environment, and a lot of uh, you know obviously you must be fond. Of animals because you spend a lot of time around them yes um, <laughs> but uh what, what kind of steered you towards that direction um it was it was a little bit serendipitous i guess so i did a trip uh I, when i was a kid I, I grew up on a farm and i was obsessed with animals but not like farm animals i was obsessed with wild animals and and then you know as i got older i got in other interests and, and got steered in different directions um but then when I was uh, 26, my fiancé and I went on a trip to Peru, and that's sort of where my the book that I, I, I've written starts. Um, and this trip really changed my life. We, we spent um, 10 days in the Amazon rainforest, which for if anyone's, you know, for, for people who haven't been, is probably the most uh, sensory experience of, of wild nature that you can have. Um, you know, it's the most biodiverse place on the planet. Yeah. Um, and it's, and we were in a very pristine, uh, area called Manu National Park and we went deep into the rainforest. So, uh, it was just an incredible experience. And when I came back, I just, I, I kept feeling that tug. Um, and I'd always been interested in writing and, and I was an English major. So I just started writing for this at, at the time. It was a little site called Manga Bay. It is now a massive <laughs> site with, with contributors around the globe and a staff of, of like 50, I think, around the world. Um, at the time, it was just two of us, and I basically just kind of got into that. And um, the the creator of Manga Bay, Rhett Butler, just sort of uh, allowed me to start writing for them and then eventually hired me full-time. And so it was sort of 
a cross between my passions of writing and nature and then a cross of sort of just being in the right place at the right time yeah. um, and really being mentored by somebody, which is sort of rare in journalism, I think, nowadays, unfortunately. But um, I just got really lucky. Uh, and yeah, so I've been doing that ever since. Of, and and uh, with that job, uh, a lot of my writing is, is remote, obviously. A lot of times I'm interviewing people from around the world uh, via things like Skype or emails or, or email and things like that. But sometimes I get lucky enough to actually go into the field and, and, and chase after endangered species or cover a story more locally. Yeah. And you've been all around the world with this, right? Like uh, you've been to like 30 odd some odd countries. Yeah. And, like... I've been to just, yeah, over 30 countries. Um, and you know, uh, the, the environmental journalism, the, the type of journalism that Manga Bay does is often focused on the tropics. Um, okay. is often focused on rainforests. Uh, so a lot of the travel that I've done are places like, um, Indonesia. I've been a few times. I've been to the Amazon rainforest a couple more times, things like that. We're trying, uh, there's a lot of coverage on, uh, you know, uh, the, the horrendous destruction that's going on, but also I'm trying to, I do a lot of coverage on sort of weird species that I become obsessed with that I, that I then want to <laughs> go and see if I can find, um, which is a, a lot of fun, but also for someone like me, who's a very anxious traveler, uh, can be a very interesting experience. And that's what the book is, is generally about is, is the, the, those cross themes of loving travel and doing it for, for a career, but also, um, you know, having the anxiety that comes with the extreme anxiety that comes with, uh, with, with my own, uh, background. Yeah. And so has, has, have you always kind of had this or is this something that built up over time? Um, so when I was 10, I was diagnosed with, um, anxiety and depression. So I've always struggled with mental illness, but it wasn't until I was 26 that they, that they saw that I also have OCD, which obsessive compulsive disorder is a whole nother realm of anxiety. Um, and so, you know, you put that all together and, uh, it's a pretty heady mix at times. Um, but at the same time, like I was, a, I mean, I, I, I was like a pretty, pretty chill, pretty good traveler for a few years in my twenties. And then as I got older and the OCD really started to ratchet up, it, it got more severe for a while. I have now learned, uh, a lot of ways to mitigate it, to deal with it because I do travel. Um, obviously I'm not traveling now <laughs> because of the <laughs> pandemic. Um, and no one wants Americans in their country for good reason. Um, <laughs> So I'm not traveling at the moment, obviously, but I have built up sort of a system and different tools to sort of get me through. So I've kind of gotten used to it, but, uh, you know, it still gets me in a lot of ridiculous situations when I do travel. Yeah. I, what, what's what's a, an example of like, I guess, I guess I would say one of the most ridiculous situations you've had. Yeah. Um, so like the book really covers a whole gamut of the, the different ways that this can play out. Um, I often get really scared of getting sick abroad, you know, cause you know, Which is as, totally inevitable. If, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like, and, and the kind of places that I'm going, I've actually been really lucky cause I've never gotten too sick. My wife got a parasite once, but I've never, Ooh. yeah, well, I have to ask what kind. Uh, we never, they, they, it was in Peru and they didn't like tell us, but we, I can't remember what I looked it up. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. Um, but I, I think we did kind of narrow down what it was. Okay. Um, but she was in the hospital overnight there, and oh, you know, that sounds, oh, that yeah, sounds horrible. it was. It, it, it's all described in the book, and it was. Yeah, it's, it's a, uh, if if you want the details, if you want the details, and you want the name of the parasite, um, but it's actually it was actually a, a very you know it was in many ways a very funny and sort of wonderful story by the end, as travel stories often are. Like even the worst travel stories, as long as you make it through and are not like you know nothing horrible horrible happens. Like yeah, it often turns into a story that really changes your perspective and 
Um, so yeah, so like I often get really scared about disease. So one time I was in the middle of the Ecuadorian rainforest and really remote in this beautiful, beautiful place run by indigenous tribe, uh, this, this uh, sort of tourism lodge that took about, I think, maybe about an hour or two hours of canoeing to get there. And I started to get sick. I, I got like a, probably a slight fever and, you know, was just, I think I, uh, you know, I, I was vomiting a little bit, not, not too bad, but I, but in my head, you know, I'm like, I'm dying. Like, this is it. Mm. You know, they're gonna have to bury me in the rainforest and put a cross there and then call my <laughs> wife who's pregnant and be like, sorry, you know, he's dead. Um, so that's what's going on in my head is like, I, you know, part of OCD is you, is you take normal rational fears and you, it expands them, right? You get, you get much more, uh, anxious than a normal person would. So I was, I, I eventually, you know, went to the lodge and was like, do you, do you all have a thermometer? And they're like, no, <laughs> like we're, <laughs> we're an indigenous tribe in the Amazon rainforest, white boy. Why would we have a thermometer? And I was like, I need a thermometer, you know, <laughs> um, I would turn into a complete, like, I'm usually a very kind and, and, you know, one, I think I'm usually a very good traveler in the sense that like, I'm, I'm always nice and kind and, and very, uh, conscious as anyone who travels a lot, you become very conscious of the differences and of, of ways that people perceive you, right? Especially yeah. coming from a country like the U.S. Well, if you don't, you don't end up traveling for very long, I find. Okay, exactly, <laughs> yeah, because, you know, you're going to get treated like crap, and you should. And so this is one time where I really lost my 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 uh, my perspective. Um, anyway, so eventually, because they could see how anxious I was, they, they canoed me two hours to the nearest boat on the Napo River, and then I got on the boat and then they, you know, I had to go down river another hour on this motorboat and then got to this doctor in the middle of the rainforest who's like treating, you know, people who are really sick. Like, you know, he's in like a, uh, like a trailer cabin basically. Yeah. Um, and is treating people who, you know, like, you know, he's treating pregnant women and people who look like they have malaria and like all this. And here I am being like, Oh, I'm dying. And then he just, he took me, he looked at me for like two seconds and was like, you're fine. It's traveler's diarrhea. And then I had to get back on the boats and they had to canoe me all the way back. It was just a fiasco. But, um, you know, it was, it's one of those things that like you, you, at the time you're so, your brain is so sort of ramped up that you're so, you know, scared that, oh no, my worst fears are coming true. Um, but then you also have to like learn to sort of forgive yourself later on and be like, you know what? Uh, that was stupid. That was clearly yeah. my OCD talking. Um, but, uh, you know, we're going to go and just do the next day and everything's, you know, uh, and, and, and apologize one step at a time. Yeah, exactly. And apologize <laughs> to the people and be like, I'm really sorry about that. And I was, you know, try and try and your best in, in like, so do you speak Spanish? Uh, like, oh no, or? I'm terrible at all okay, languages. Okay. This is so another thing you, that I'm. You don't speak oh, Quechua yeah. or anything else then as well. Nope. <laughs> nope. Not a word. So trying to brokenly explain to these people. Exactly. Well, that's the other thing, you know, you get the language barriers and I mean, it was, it was great because like I was at a place where, um, a number of them at work as guides. So they spoke, you know, English and stuff. They could speak at least enough English, but yes, there's the language barrier. There's the cultural barrier. There's just the, uh, privileged white dude <laughs> barrier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, and, and I've had a number of experiences like that, but you know, the, the book ultimately is really about, you know, uh, as a traveler and I'm an extreme example, but I think most travelers experience some anxiety. Like most of us are not, I mean, you, you all sound pretty amazing what you were doing, but, <laughs> but most of us, um, most people I think experience some pretty intense anxiety, especially going somewhere really different. Um, yeah. And so, you know, the thing is, is that you can, you can have that experience, but you can still have an amazing trip and still have a life-changing trip. 
and still be, you know, a kind person, right? Like we can, we can kind of, so the book is sort of about my own journey of discovering that, right? Of, of yeah. still, of still being able to travel. So have you found like over time that, you know, it's, it's increased your anxieties about travel, the more you learn or, or, or like decreased it in any way back and sure. forth? Sure. Um, it's, it's a little bit of both. It, it, it ebbs and flows. Um, it's yeah. certainly, it, it, it will change topics. It will, uh, you know, I'll, I'll become, uh, I'll become convinced I'm going to die in a motorcycle accident in, in Indonesia rather than, you know, that I'm going to get some kind of sickness. So it's sort of, uh, this is sort of the way OCD works. It's, it's less, I think that it's decreased, but more that I become better over the years at managing it. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, my last big trip, I was in Vietnam, and I got I got travelers, you know, diarrhea there as well. And I did not completely, you know, I didn't I didn't order. I was in a small village in the middle of freaking nowhere, chasing after this mammal that had just been rediscovered. And you know, <laughs> yeah, which was so fun. <laughs> yeah. Um We never saw it, but I got to have this incredible experience. Uh, and but but when I got when I got sick there, and again it wasn't anything severe or anything worrying. But I didn't at this time I did not force any locals to drive me to the nearest hospital or anything. Yeah. You know, I I was I was I just took my meds. I kind of talked myself down for a couple of days, and it, you know I ended up going away and fine. So, you know I do think I've gotten better at managing some of the anxiety, but it, it, you never know when it's going to kind of ratchet up again. And so it's sort of and that's that's part of anyone who lives with chronic I think mental illness will will understand that that like if you take care of yourself and you learn how to deal with it you get better at it but it can still get bad you know at any time yeah. for for other reasons so you know it's just kind have, of the way it is have you ever had it physically stop you from being able to go anywhere that you planned on or were supposed to be going um i i've i've been pretty good at pushing through those barriers <laughs> <laughs> um but but i certainly will say that like there are certain places in the world that i just would not go now Right. Okay. There are certain when I was in my 20s, I, my wife and I were like, oh, yeah, we should do a, a trip around the world. Like, let's, you know, as, mm. as you all did. And like, I couldn't do that now. You know, I just know myself well enough that I know, OK, there are certain places in the world, you know, I'm not going to go to a conflict zone. For you example. choose not to put yourself in that position. Exactly. You, you, you learn, OK, this is what I can do. You learn your limitations, you know, yeah. and, and I think that that anyone I think anybody that's an important part of being human right like we're, we're not all almighty we're, we're mortal beings with with our own limitations and learning your limitations can actually be really it sounds weird but it can be empowering because then you can know how much you can push those where you can stretch where you can kind of but like it gives I know, you more, more confidence to carry on it, and kind of you know exactly yeah, I, I can see what you're saying yeah you know. yeah and like i've learned now that like you know i i don't i'm not going to go on a trip for six months right i'm not going to go on a long trip i'm not going to go to conflict zone I'm not going to go somewhere that I that I feel like I would be having a lot of, you know, too much anxiety to make it worthwhile. And I've also learned how to prep so that I, you know, when I go, I know, like, I'm going to be here this night and I'm going to be sleeping here. And I'm going to, you know, so it's we I used to do the backpacker thing where you'd be bouncing around and stuff. And that was fun in my 20s. But like now that I'm a little older and I also have a kid, um, I just I just know to I need to be a little bit more prepped and that will help me. So I can still go to these amazing places and, and see these amazing species, but I just need to have it well laid out so I so I don't yeah. have sp spots in the trip where I'm completely like, oh god. It's different to... for you as well because a lot of your travel, I imagine, is for for work as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it is. So it's for a very specific reason. Like I'm trying to get off into a very specific place to then follow around a scientist for a few days um, and, and try and find a specific species, or to you know to, to be in a specific place to see what's going on between deforestation issues or those kinds of things so it is it's a very it's usually like 
okay, I'm trying to go here and do this. Yeah. Um, as opposed to sort of like the the really fun kind of travel. I mean, this is fun too, but like the fun kind of travel where you're like, I'm just going to jump in and drop in and, we'll, you know, I can change my plans at last minute and stuff. And, you know, I, I haven't really been able to do that kind of travel for a number of years um, just because my job's changed and my life's changed. So, yeah. Is that is that something you miss? You kind of wish you could I, do it again? I, I do miss. I, I I mean, I think I miss it in the sense that like, there's a romance to that, right? Yeah. There's there's a there's. I mean, but the funny thing is, is even when you travel, or, or even when you plan your travel really well, you're still gonna have adventures. Like it doesn't. Yeah. I think people forget that, but there is a certain romance to being like, oh man, I could, I could just change my plans on a whim and stuff. But I also think for someone like me, and again, this is sort of knowing your limitations. Uh, I've sort of, as I've gotten older, I realized that the romance of that is probably a little deceptive and that that would really uh, make the trip much more difficult. No, I mean, if I was doing it in like, you know, Europe or something, it probably wouldn't be that big of a deal. But, um, you know, I'm not going to go island hopping in Indonesia with no plan, right? Like, yeah. that's just, that's not something that I, that's in my cards anymore. Um, and that's okay, you know? So would you, I guess, kind of going along with what you, you were saying, it would be much easier Europe. Have you, have you kind of come across like a, I guess, a country or a culture, I should say, to kind of give it a bit more vagueness um, that has been a lot harder for you to, 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 I guess, I don't know if I should say oh, accepted sure. or, or kind of yeah, just deal no, but with. I, I think, I think, I think in terms of ratcheting up your anxiety as, as a, as a, as a white dude from America, you know, um, the, 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 you know, culture, uh, uh what's the word the culture shock is real yeah right like for anybody uh whether whether you're you grew up in indonesian and then coming for to the united states for the first time like that's weird uh and vice versa <laughs> you know vice versa. and and so like it, it, i think it's it's important to acknowledge that like culture shock is a real thing and it's an okay thing just don't be an asshole right yeah um so I, I don't, I, I think for me, it's, it's less about the, I, like, I love different cultures. Like I love being in places where there is hu human beings living so different than the way I grew up. Right. Like, I think that's, that's one of the beautiful things about travel is you can see how different people, Absolutely. how, how, how the history and, and the food and the language shapes our experiences. Um, so it's less about the, 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 I mean, the culture shock can always be a thing, but it's, it's more about, you know, going to a country where you can't drink the water. Um, mm. And where you have to be really, you know, paranoid. And, and then that, again, clicks into my own anxieties. You know, you have to be you have to be very aware of, of what you're doing. Uh, going to a place where, um, you know, uh, where there's a lot more types of diseases that are that are a little more running rampant. Those kinds of things. Going to a place with extreme poverty can be really I mean, obviously, I think it can be emotional and difficult as it should be for anybody. Um, you know, those kinds of things are more challenging. You know, going to Western Europe can i can still have panic attacks doing that yeah. but i i we have we have family in ireland like we do the we do that trip every few years we you know we i was in greece uh, a year ago um so you know it, it it's it's an easier experience because for one thing the the culture shock is less but also there's a sense of oh okay i can still drink the water uh the transportation is going to be relatively simple we're not going to be riding on camels you know yeah. The just just some of those basic things for someone with OCD or anxiety makes it a little easier. Um, you know, this is why if people are like, "Oh, well, I I also struggle with anxiety. Like, should I go on a big trip?" I'm like, start small, start somewhere comfortable, start you know, kind of build up basically your your resilience yeah. until you until you decide to go somewhere really different and and really I mean amazing. 
a life-changing trip, but like, don't just throw yourself into something huge. Yeah. Uh, if you struggle with anxiety. Well, when when you're out and about and like say uh, I don't know if you have like massive panic attacks when if, sometimes if yeah like yeah. Uh, I imagine like that that's a possibility and it is for mm-hmm. a lot of people who have serious like you know OCD and, and anxiety with things. Do you have you come up with any kind of like tricks or tips that oh yeah like, lots of you trips suggest for trips. people? Uh, I mean I've had I've had panic attacks in planes at you know thirty thousand feet and twelve hours to go and I've had panic sounds attacks <laughs> yeah it, oh it's real bad. Because uh, uh, there's no way you're gonna change your situation. You, you like, can't get just... out. Yeah, no, you can't leave. And uh, that's actually one of the stories in the book is is a panic attack on the on a, on a flight from the U.S. to Tokyo and then to Indonesia. And but you know you you do it and then you, you make it. You know. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, I think packing uh, uh, all all the all the things that you need. Like I, I make sure I have good podcasts, funny podcasts, often um, to kind of break the cycle, right? Uh, I make sure I have all the meds that I need. Um, I make sure I have some meditations can be really helpful. Um, just things like that to sort of, uh, get your mind thinking about something else when you start to feel a little ramped up. Uh, again, a preparation, you know, I may, I know where I'm going to be sleeping. I try and find places that, um, I mean, I, I, I rough it a lot, but I also once in a while on, on each trip, like to have a place with you know, some, a little bit more luxury, you know, maybe a, maybe a pool. Cause I love to swim, you know, something like, yeah. like give yourself a little gift once in a while. Um, you know, just, just things like that. And you also, you know, when you've done this long enough or, or you've, or you're, uh, working on this, you, you learn different strategies of breathing, of talking yourself down. Um, but sometimes a, a panic attack is inevitable and you just kind of have to ride that wave <laughs> <laughs> until you get to the other side. And, yeah. and, and, and it's rough. It's really rough, but you know, that's, that's part of, you know, that kind of, that's part of just sort of having mental illness and, um, you know, you, you, you learn to live with it and deal with it, but there are definitely ways I think to especially mitigate it happening. Once it's happened, it's really about breathing and talking yourself down and, and, and trying to find, you know, a, a way, a, a place that feels, you know, safe, which yeah. an airplane is not a great place for me at least. <laughs> to yeah, have. no, a hundred percent. But, I, I can um, you know, see why. You, yeah. You, you know, you eventually, it eventually, you know, that's the other thing is you kind of tell yourself, this is not going to last forever. Right. Yeah. Uh, this panic, the panic attack is really scary when you're in the middle of it. But, uh, if you've had a few and you know, like you can just tell yourself, okay, this is going to pass. This is going to be done. You know, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. You know, I'm okay. I'm on a plane, you know? Yeah. That's freaky, yeah. but like it will pass. So, it's sort of about, and that's why I would re- really recommend to people, like, if you are interested in traveling and stuff, you know, start small and and, and build up that, that sort of practice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, it's, we have a, a lot of friends who, um, well, uh, the the last podcast um, we were working on was with a guy named Ed Pratt, and he, you know, kind of did the same thing. He rode a unicycle uh, from... Uh, I think one one village to the next, uh, essentially. Like, oh, and it was kind of across the UK, actually. It was, so it was a bit more than that. Um, and uh, and that was he wanted to see, you know, if he could do it, kind of thing. Yeah. And then his next trip after that, he unicycled around the world. It took him like three years. It's incredible. <laughs> well, it is, you know, so it, I mean, starting small doesn't mean exactly. you have to stick with small. Like, you, no, no, you can and that's definitely... that's the whole point. And it's it's interesting because like that's a physical thing, right? But that also inquire, uh, requires mental you know, endurance. Right. Yeah. And it's the same thing with anyone who struggles with anxiety or depression. Like it, it's a good metaphor. It's like, it's like, you can't just, you know, go to a gym and, and just lift 200 pounds without starting small. Like you have to kind of build up 
uh, a practice and a, and a mentality in your muscles. And it's the same thing with, 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 with learning to live with mental illness, whether you want to travel or whether you have other things that you want to do as an, you yeah, know, yeah. whatever you want to do, it's like, you have to kind of build up that, Oh, okay. You know, and you, you know, just don't, don't plunge in. Cause that's, that's what I did when I first went to Peru is we sort of just jumped in wholesale and it was a really great trip and a real awakening, but it was also incredibly difficult and almost ended my relationship with my now wife because I was so impossible to be around. Yeah. Um, so it's just that it's that. And I feel like that happens for a lot of people who don't have mental illness, you know, yeah, no, mental exactly. struggles either. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, it does. And that's, yeah. I mean, again, that's sort of part, part of being human and part of traveling, which is so wonderful is that it tests that, you know, it tests, 100%, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's a challenge. It, it's exciting. It's adventure. But and it tests our own limitations and our own ability to sort of, you know, you might see like I saw myself in the beginning as like, I'm a great traveler. Like, I'm I love this. This is great. Blah. And then, you know, I had to like realize, oh, man, I'm I'm awful at this. Like, you know, <laughs> this is terrible. But I still love doing it. And I still, you know, get to go to these incredible places and write these stories and meet these people and meet these animals and, you know. Do you it's have great. any place that's just, I mean, I, I, we, like, we get this question a lot and it's one that I honestly don't mind. So I hope it's not a pain in the, oh, yeah. you know, pain in the ass to ask you, but like, do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite place or kind of area? It all depends you... on what you're looking for. I mean, I think it, if, if you're interested in nature uh, and you're, and, and, and the natural world really speaks to you, I, I, I think going to the Amazon rainforest is a lifetime experience. I don't think there's anything there's no place more infused with life and more infused with sort of, I don't know, the beauty of the earth than yeah. there. Um, but I also, I'm, I love sub-Saharan Africa. I love okay. the wildlife and the people and the, the community and the joy, uh, you know, uh, uh, I've, I've been to Kenya and Botswana and, and, and Zimbabwe and, um, and, and, you know, there, there's, there's something about going to a place where the, all the megafauna is still intact you know, yeah. where, where they didn't go through a, a mass extinction like the rest of the world did. Um, you know, you got elephants and lions. I mean, it's like, it's like a, it, it's incredible. So that's incredible. Um, if I'm just going for a chill trip, like if I just want to go somewhere and like experience things, but not feel completely anxious the whole time, like I would say Greece. Um, so it kind of depends. Okay. It, yeah, it depends I mean, a little beach, beach <laughs> Good and, food. and then, and then the archeology span there, you know, the, the, the ancient Greek, the ruins, uh, the Mycenaeans yeah, like there's so much like you could you could spend a lifetime in Greece and not even wrap yeah. your brain around half of it um and then the food and the people and the culture I mean it's just wonderful but um yeah, yeah I would say probably sub-saharan Africa and 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 Amazon as far as as, as wildlife Indonesia is also spectacular you know so something to pick your brain about with yeah. with especially like sub-saharan Africa because uh, I've, I've I haven't had the chance to go yet oh, I've always man. wanted to go yeah um and, and it's a big one a lot I feel a lot, a lot of people kind of point to that direction but they never I guess they they don't really uh they don't go into a lot of detail of like sure. like how exactly to get there so like when you when when you because it sounds like you've gone a couple of times yeah yeah I've gone a couple of times okay so where when when you're going in obviously it's different because you have uh work and whatnot but where yeah. where do you normally start where do you fly in well the first time I went I actually it was before all of this and before I started doing the job so uh I went to Nairobi um, in Kenya. And then I did the Great Rift Valley. And um, which which is, you know, the where the where uh, literally the, the continental plates are splitting apart. Um, and that is through a, a number of some of the most amazing wildlife parks in the world. Um, uh, I saw everything, 
you know, all, all, yeah. all the, like, just, I mean, it was, it was a, an incredible experience. And then at the end went down to the Masai Mara, which is part of the uh, Serengeti Plains. So if I was to do that again, which I'd love to take my daughter there, um, mm. I would do, I would actually do that exact same route and then probably just go down and spend some time in Tanzania in the Serengeti. Um, and there's a few different locations around there I'd love to see. So that's what I mean. But I'm I'm also I'm going for the mega like I'm going because I want to see the lions and the yeah, elephants yeah, and yeah, the giraffes. Definitely. I mean, which it's I feel so, like if you're going there, you should probably go for at least oh a little God, bit of that. You know? Even if you're not, even if you're not a huge, even if you think you're not a huge nature person, go out there and spend a few weeks. It, you might be changed. Uh, and then when we did uh, Botswana, we did the Okavanga Delta, which is this massive floodplain um, and incredible wildlife. Um, and, and one of the most sort of intact, most beautiful places in the entire region, as far as it's, it's, it's well protected, generally speaking, um, it's huge. And, uh, and that was a really a life changing thing. I would really recommend that. I didn't go to like Kruger in South Africa, but I've heard amazing things about that. Um, but there's so many places in that, you know, I've heard Mozambique is incredible. Um, I mean, there's just, you know, you, you, in some ways you really can't go wrong, (laughs) In, yeah. in that region what's, and maybe what's the best way you would say to kind of get around do you normally like do you rent a vehicle do you just uh, like hire a guide the whole I, time, I would I, so so with a lot of the parks you have to go in with guides um yeah oh 100 yeah yeah and and that's for safety i mean there might be some that you can do on your own but i i would recommend a guide for one thing there's just there's so much education you can learn and we did we did both times i did i did tent safaris so it's like the cheapest thing you can do but you're like literally sleeping in tents listening to lions roar so there's also this you know, there's this beautiful uh, wilderness romantic uh, amazingness about it. You know, you wake up in the morning, the African sun on your face, and you sit around a campfire and drink coffee. Like, it's it's incredible. So, I, yeah. I you know, if, if that's something you can do, I think that that's a really beautiful way to experience it. I mean, obviously, you can, you can do lodges, and you can pay a lot more money and have a lot more comfort, and that's fine. Um, but, yeah, usually what I would do is I would land, spend a couple of days, you know, acclimating, seeing some of the cities, because um, the... the, the the thing, you know, people forget that um, Africa has some incredible cities with incredible food and, yeah. and lively, like, culture. And, and, like, going to a city that, that is sort of exploding with ideas and culture, is, it's really it's really invigorating and exciting. Um, and then I would hire, uh, you know, I'd go with a good, a good group, uh, hopefully a group that you want to make sure, at least from an environmental perspective, I like to go to a group that really knows to follow the rules that's going to really be aware of these species. That's going to be good, um, you know, at just sort of uh, focusing on that. Because um, there's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of different groups. You can go for different reasons. But yeah, then I would just go on a big, you know, pay them a bunch of money, and then they take you from place to place to place, and you wake up in a different park every day, and you're you don't really you, have to worry about it. Just enjoy. You don't it. have to no, and they and they do the you know they it's 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 the, like I said, what I did was very simple. But you know, you got the food. You don't have to. It's a very it's very chill. It's very leisurely. But at the same time, every day is this incredible experience, and you never know. I mean, I saw a cheetah hunt from beginning to end when I oh was my in God. Kenya. Sounds, yeah, <laughs> so it's so like your good. own like like, so like Blue Planet or not Blue Planet, but it you was know, Planet no, Earth, it was like, yeah, like, like Planet Earth. Yeah, you know, it was it was exactly like if Planet only you Earth. had David, like, David Attenborough in the background. <laughs> yes, yes, and and so that that whole story of 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 Kenya is in the book, and it's it's you know, and and, and it's just. Yeah, I, I think that that's 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 the way that I I would do it. And if I was you know if when I when I go again when this is all over and I really like I said I'd love to take my daughter, um, that's the what I would do is I would yeah. you know. So and, go, going back to the book yeah. a little bit, um, when when did you? Because I know you know obviously I imagine when 
you started realizing uh, you were you were diagnosed from a very young age, obviously. But um, mm-hmm. when you started realizing that um, these issues were starting to become a real problem and affect your, I'm sure they affect your personal life and oh, yeah. you know career and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I feel like you know it's only in the last couple of years that mental health has started kind of opening up a little bit and people yeah. are a bit more willing to have larger conversations would would you say you know you've had any kind of issues throughout your career like i guess um getting people to kind of understand a bit more oh oh yeah i mean so when i was first you know i was 10 when i was diagnosed and i was growing up in a small town in minnesota relatively conservative town and so my you know initial reaction to my mental illness for the first really 15 years or so was just like I gotta hide it from everybody, right? Like, yeah. I mean, my parents knew, my my family knew, my close family, but like, you know, I like I was like desperate to hide it from peers for for obvious reasons, you know, um, and and I felt a lot of shame about it. So at the time, and even into my twenties and probably early thirties, if you had told me I was gonna write a book about my mental illness, I would have been like, "Ew, that's gross! Like, why <laughs> would you do that? That's a horrible idea, Jeremy." Um, <laughs> But eventually I got to a point where I think I just, you know, I wanted to tell these travel stories and I knew I couldn't do do that without really getting into the nitty gritty of, of, of what I struggle with. And also I, I feel like there, as you say, there is some opening up, there is some more space that that around the mental uh, illness and, and the mental health culture. And I think that that's so needed. And my hope is that with a book like this, that people can kind of feel a little less alone who also struggle with these issues. Or for people who have loved ones who struggle with these issues, I think it can be really helpful to read something uh, about that that isn't just a downer, that is has some uplifting moments. I mean, the book is really, it's meant to be funny, it's light, it's not like, you know, there's a lot of great mental illness books, uh, memoirs about the heaviness and the despair, um, you know, and those are so important, but I didn't want to write that book, you know? Yeah. That, that, wasn't, that wasn't me and that wasn't what I wanted to do. So I wanted to write something that could be like, a fun read about animals and nature and trips, but also doesn't shy away from the reality. Um, and so, you know, it was one of those things where the book just kind of bit me. The idea kind of got in my head and I couldn't get rid of it. Have you had the idea for, for some time before you wrote it? Yeah, or it I actually, like... it's, it's funny because I was looking through notes, you know, when I was doing the whole book and I found some notes way back from Peru in 2006. And that was, oh, I wow. think, when the first when the first idea of like, I could write this about this trip because that trip was bonkers. Um, <laughs> you know, and at the time I, I thought, oh, I could just write about like th- just this trip. And honestly, that whole trip could have probably turned into one book. Um, but at the time I was, you know, I was 26. I had, didn't have any writing career, any name, any anything behind it. But I was just, I think it was just sort of more of that. So that idea has been sort of percolating and I kept pushing it away being like, no, I don't want to share these. You know, I don't want to share this part of myself. This is private. Yeah. Um, and eventually it just became kind of inevitable and it became something that I, over time I actually wanted to do. And then, you know, then it was a conversation with my wife and my family about, Hey, are you okay with this? <laughs> um, you know, and my, my parents, like, are you guys okay with it? You know? So, um, and then eventually, yeah, it was just kind of like, okay, I'm going to do it and I'm going to bear the reality of what I've experienced and, and hope that it means something to other people, whether, whether you struggle with mental illness or not, I think it's a, it's it's a it's a it's an interesting way and and as you just said like too like everybody struggles with anxiety at times right we're human creatures stress anxiety and especially now with this pandemic I think we're all 
realizing there's, the old there's a new level of weirdness in yeah the <laughs> exactly even for people who are pretty chill like they're like yeah. whoa this is amped up so i think that you know it, it it's 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 a fun book to read about that experience in a new way and you know if you do have a loved one who suffers from anxiety or, or ocd or if you yourself i think it's a good book to sort of read that isn't just going to be bleak and down and depressing but is going to have some other fun really fun stories and, and amazing species and amazing places that can kind of, you know, blend it all together. Yeah. So I, I don't know where you, you are in uh, Minnesota necessarily, but yeah. I, I feel like, because um, I've, I've spent the, the, the lockdown and, and since then uh, over here in the UK, and it's really interesting because I feel like domestic travel, for me personally, because obviously, you know, I feel like you're probably the same. We're so used to, like, going yes. somewhere multiple times a yeah. year and, like, constantly traveling. Like, now, for a lot of people out there, especially with the pandemic, you know, we've all... We've all had to stop. Like nobody's really been allowed to really yeah. get out and go anywhere unless you're you're in a different position. Have have you like I've I found for us mostly we just started going on long walks and kind of discovering mm. our own area. Yeah. Uh, have you have you discovered something similar like that over in Minnesota area, or do you have any kind of trick to to feeding that you know? Yeah. <laughs> that I mean, I, need? I think so. I I live I live in the Twin Cities and I live in St. Paul. Um, and the nice thing about living here, one of the one of the many nice things is there is a lot of green space. And I think, you know, if, if people are struggling, one of the best things you can do is get out in nature. I mean, the science shows that nature is so good for our stress levels, our mental health, our anxiety, yeah. it, just being out in nature. And they don't exactly know why, but there's a lot of really interesting science around how it can impact us um, positively. So I, I do try to get out and do that, um, do walks, uh, just find, uh, you know, there's little groves of trees. It's not huge, you know, but there's forests around and, you know. And then um, we we do try to get out and do like the longer sort of three four hour trips um, up to sort of uh, northern Minnesota to Lake Superior, for example. Um, okay. To more of the North Woods, and that's you know that's such a bomb. But I've also weirdly I think this has been a, a really interesting time for travelers because like I miss traveling so much. You know I miss <laughs> I miss the mountains. I miss the ocean. I miss all that. And I'm kind of trying to like, I'm trying to like kind of take pleasure in the missing, right? In the longing. Mm. Because there is something, you know, human beings for most of our history, we, we, we did not travel. We, we traveled, but we didn't like, you know, getting on a plane and then being somewhere in, in 18 hours or, or 10 hours or 7 hours or whatever. That's bonkers for most of human history. The idea that yeah, you could yeah, suddenly exactly. just show up in a different culture in a different place is really weird. Um and wonderful and so i'm trying to sort of like take this time to kind of appreciate what we what we've been able to do and, and to sort of you know enjoy the fact that i have been able to travel and start to think about my next trips and, and where i want to go but also just miss it like it's kind of feels good to be like i'm not i'm not planning another trip you know i'm just missing it i mean sometimes yeah. it feels shitty but <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah I, I think i think it's so important right now as you say to go on long walks to discover what's near you i mean uh, we all need to do things to to stay sane and to keep our community, you know, as well as we can. And so I think it's a great time to do that. It's a great time yeah. to think about getting involved and, you know, doing other things that you can uh, yeah. just for your own. I think own. the big thing that really helped me out was, uh, I think, about an end, like towards the end of the lockdown, uh, we managed to, a couple of friends managed to get together and have a campfire. Oh, I yeah. think there was probably like eight of us or something like that. We weren't really doing anything. We just had a couple of drinks and were listening to music and just sitting around a campfire and like that night meant so like I felt like that was yeah. more more of a therapeutic session than I could have possibly have ever paid for. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. And that's and that you know, I mean, 
And again, I think this goes back thousands of years for us, but the idea of having a campfire, the idea of looking into the flame, like that's what our ancestors did every night, right? Like, yeah. And I think some, in some ways we've gotten our, uh, the pandemic has been awful and tragic and horrible and the response to it around the world in different places has been awful. But there, but I think some people are finding some sort of like, oh, I can slow down a little. I can, I can try and, I can start new hobbies. I, I mean, I think that there is weirdly some opportunity here to change habits, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, to, to, to really, you know, what's most important in our lives. It, it's, it's not, you know, feeding the capital, capital all the time. It's, it's family. It's, it's the experiences along the way. It's, it's the, you know, those, those nights with a campfire or that long walk you took, that's, that's going to mean more to you in 20 years than, you know, uh, some 40 hour a week job that you had to do. You know what I mean? Like those, those yeah, are the things yeah, that exactly. matter. And I, and I think, I think also, you know, as someone who's a traveler, like you get that too, because that's why we travel, right? Is for those experiences that then stick with us our whole lives. Yeah. So I guess, uh, kind of uh, like looking forward, uh, <laughs> where's the, where's the next place on, on your destination? Well, I, I did have to cancel a big trip to Indonesia. Um, I do a lot of writing about Sumatran rhinos and, uh, they are, uh, they used to be found in other countries, but now they're only in Indonesia. Uh, they recently yeah. vanished from Malaysia entirely. Um, so I'm going to be honest with you. I have oh, yeah. no idea what a Sumatran no, rhino yeah. is. Okay. <laughs> so, so I mean, I know it's a rhino, you, but like... you know what a rhino is. So you got to, yeah. um, so Sumatran rhino is completely different than the African rhinos, right? The Sumatran rhino is okay. actually more is closely related in some ways to the woolly rhino that went extinct. Um, it has hair. It's the world's smallest rhino. And when I say hair, like it can have like shaggy red colored hair. Uh, it lives in the rainforest. It used to be found all the way into India um, and then all the way down to Indonesia uh, over the last you know, thousands of years and then few centuries, it's been basically put down to where there's probably about anywhere between only 30 and 80 left in the yeah. wild, maybe less. Um, there are, oh, I'm going to get the number wrong, but there are like seven or eight in captivity now. Um, and they've been trying to do a captive breeding program and they've had some, some success. They've had two babies, I think in the last uh, eight years or so. They are amazing animals. People think of rhinos as sort of these aggressive, you know, charging creatures. But Sumatran rhinos, and a lot of rhinos too, that we're realizing are much more complicated. Um, but Sumatran rhinos, uh, as a rainforest species, they're, they're, they're really meant to like travel along rainforest trails and, and sit in the mud and stuff. And they actually, they sing. They, they give these uh, dolphin-like calls and whistles to each other. Yeah. Um, so like when you're around them, they'll like just start singing to you for breakfast. Like they'll start just calling. And it sounds kind of like a dolphin or a whale. Uh, it's incredible, and they're very like sweet. Like they'll like rub the up against you. Like I've been, to, I've visited the ones in captivity, and they're like. So they're like cuddly rhinos, then. The, yeah, people have described. I've never them thought like, of cuddly, rhinos as cuddly. Right? So. No, you have. Yeah, and they're they have you know I mean like all animals are realizing they have distinct personalities and stuff. As long as you're not getting in between them when they're mating, they're like really beautiful and gentle. They can get really <laughs> aggressive when they're mating. Um, so I've been writing about this species really for, let's see, uh, over 10 years now. Um, and it's one of my favorite species. And I like, you know, a lot of people have never even heard of it. Um, and it's the probably the most critically endangered large mammal in the world right now. I mean, we are talking on the edge of extinction, like the very precipice, like there's only... Is it mostly like environment and poachers or so kind of a it's, mix of the two? It's, it's, it's a mix of different things. It's, it's um, habitat loss. Obviously, deforestation, of course, played a role. Poaching played a role. But all that kind of played a role probably more historically. What's mm. happened now is there are just so few rhinos left. 
they are they are a slow breeding species. Um, you know, large mammal. They the 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 female is pregnant for under two years, but almost like 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 eighteen nineteen months or something like that. Um, yeah. And then they have a baby, and then they have the baby with them for a year, like two years, I think. So you're talking about a, a female can only give birth maybe once every four years. Um, and so what happened is as as they were sort of pushed into smaller and smaller forests, as they were poached, uh, especially historically, I mean, poaching is still an issue now, a, a very grave issue. But basically what happened is there was just too few rhinos and the females started developing uh, fertility problems because they weren't having sex. They weren't finding males. Um, they were getting too old. And so they sort of just started to wink out from from country to country um and 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 now there are just really only about probably two places in Sumatra that house any kind of population that's at all viable um there's there's one individual in Kalimantan in Indonesia Kalimantan uh and then there might be a couple other that they're trying to capture um at the moment but it's an incredible species and it's a really uh incredible story of people just coming together and trying to save this animal uh, so I was supposed to go to Indonesia to continue writing about this, and they're trying to capture ones right now. Um, but then the pandemic hit, of course. Yeah. Uh, so when this is all over, uh, when there's a vaccine that's, uh, you know, workable, I would love to go back to Indonesia and continue that. Um, I would also really love to get back to the Amazon. I'd love to, I, I'd love to go to Central America, like Costa Rica, maybe, or Panama. Uh, and then I always, I'm always, I always have a longing for, Sub-Saharan Africa. So all those places are like calling to me right now, you know, siren <laughs> Trying song. to pull you back. <laughs> yeah, but I think the first would be Indonesia. And have you been to Indonesia before? No, I'm afraid. Okay. Yeah, like all like so basically Africa and all of Southeast Asia. We, ha- we haven't had the chance to touch. Okay. One, of, one of the crummy things was because we mostly um, explore by overlanding. So yes, we're always yeah, in a remember. vehicle. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously we fly from time to time because you just can't really avoid it, unfortunately. Yeah. But um. But yeah, so uh, so it's it's one of those areas we've been trying for so long to get mm. down to, and hopefully you know we'll we'll have something set up. We are supposed to be going to Sri Lanka actually. Oh, uh, wonderful! Come up, uh, well, hopefully in April, yeah. but it depends on obviously um, how yes. everything is going. I've heard um, really good things about Sri Lanka. Yeah, no, we've we've had we've had lot, lots of friends tell us how amazing it is. So it's it's one of those we yeah we're we're shooting for it, but yeah, who knows? <laughs> yeah, the wildlife there is supposed to be really good too. So yeah, if you're interested. But, um, but yeah, I would I would say for people who are yeah, Indonesia is I think one of the most unique countries on earth. I mean, it's seventeen thousand islands, uh, incredibly every religion in the world there, tons of languages, uh, different species everywhere, wonderful people, some of the best food I've ever had in my life. Like it's yeah. it's a it's yeah, it's I'm an sure. amazing place. It's an amazing. How do you place, normally so. get around over there? Is it is it a lot of flights? Uh, do you, do you um, have to boat at all? Or? Yeah, I, I've done everything. I've done flights. I've done boats. Because again, because I'm like, oh, I need to go to this specific place to try and find this specific creature. I'm often with scientists, or or uh, NGOs, or I hire a driver. I don't drive in foreign countries. Like that's not something I'm gonna. Yeah willing to do and driving it's not place. that difficult man honestly i, oh I, I enjoy God. it outside I, I enjoy it in those areas a lot more than i do like here. over here well driving like, in I, Indonesia. I know what they're gonna do they're gonna drive like crazy yeah exactly. over here yes. everybody's following the rules yes and yes. you know they might not be paying attention i have no idea what they're doing you know? yes oh man i mean indonesia watching watching the drivers there is incredible because they're like they're like superheroes it's it's like a ballet I, it is it's just <laughs> constant you know and and so so yeah, I've, I I usually fly into Jakarta, and then it's a matter of getting a car to 
uh, the ferry to take me over to Sumatra or, um, you know, I've, I've flown to a few other islands. You can, there's a lot of small, you know, like flights you can do and stuff, but yeah, you, you can, there's all sorts of different ways to get around. Um, but usually you have to, I think, fly into a central location and then kind of bounce around from there. Um, okay. but it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a pretty well touristed country. So like it, there's a lot of options. Uh, it's a great place for, you know, if you like the beach, if you like yeah. tropics, it's great for that. But it's also like, if you go like, don't, don't miss the wildlife and the culture and the food. Like, don't just go and sit on a beach, like do, do some other things because it's got some of the most spectacular wilderness on the planet. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, no, we can't, we can't wait to make it out. So la- last question, I'm going to bug from you, man. Um, so kind of, cause I think you have an amazing career, obviously mm. it's, 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 obviously treated you really well you've gotten to travel the world and and, uh see some really unique amazing things that i'm I'm sure i most people would only dream of so you were saying back um the first time when you were in the amazon you you weren't really doing that just yet yeah what were you doing to kind of like get yourself by until you know kind of like when when i guess i guess i should say when when did writing actually start becoming your full-time job yeah and what did you I, do to support yourself to get there sure i always wanted to be a writer even when i was little um but you know at, at that time let's so that was I, I i i went to college did an english degree and then um my wife and i sort of when she finished college we lived in new york city for a year and that's and then we went to peru for a little while and then we came back to minnesota but, but during that time i was really just doing odd jobs like i i, I worked as a in bookstores, I, I was a worked in a bakery for like three months. Like I did what a lot of people do in their early twenties. You know, I was mm. just I was trying to find myself, and I was writing at the same time. I was always writing something, um, but I wasn't, you know, getting any interest, or, or you know, I wasn't able to find much publishers. Um, and so it was really um, a matter of kind of just again being in the right place at the right time and continuing to just write. I mean, I always, you know, with, with someone who's interested in writing, like you just got to kind of keep doing it and trying and trying and trying and trying. And, you know, eventually it worked out for me, but honestly, a lot of, you know, a lot of it was luck. Like a lot of it was sort of just, you know, and then, and then, but then things start to steamroll and, you know, I, I, I was able to get this job that I loved and do that. And then eventually I went freelance, um, which was another sort of big move and a big decision, but that allowed me to write the book, you know, um, if I'd stayed on sort of being a full-time journalist 40 hours a week, I wouldn't have been able to do this book. Yeah. So, you know, there was a lot of, but it, it's, it's really a matter uh, when, when it comes to writing of, of, of finding, finding a place where you can just try and, and kind of get some mentorship and then seeing if, if it's something you want to do. Like, I mean, journalism is not glamorous. Uh, it's not going to pay well. Um, it's a really hard career right now. Um, and obviously there's a lot of hate coming at journalists. Um mm. So it's not, not, something... not just in the States around the world, oh, around really, the yeah. world. Yeah. And it's getting yeah. worse. And then there's places where it's extremely dangerous to be a journalist. Yeah. Um, people are, are, uh, beaten and killed all the time for just reporting the news. So, uh, you know, it's, it's not something I work with. I work with young journalists a lot. I, I do an internship program with Manga Bay. So what I always tell them is, you know, give it a try, see if you like it, because it's not for everybody. You might, you might do a journalism internship or something and realize, you know what, this isn't for me, but it can still give you a lot in terms of communication skills in terms of writing in terms of seeing the world a little differently understanding the complexity of things um so so yeah i was really just i was i was very lucky and then i just kind of kept pushing and i was willing to you know write for free for a long time um which i don't recommend everyone do but you know you 
just just kind of you gotta persevering. Start somewhere. You got to start somewhere, and, and and you know, and and you and the thing is too is you might think, oh, this is what I want, and then you might try it out, and then you're like, no, this isn't what I want, and that's okay. Go do something else then, because there's yeah, a lot of yeah, other yeah. there's a lot of other ways to make a meaningful impact on the world right now, and we need people in every single place, right? Um, but I, I do think that yeah, if you're if you're a young person looking at journalism or writing, just try and get an internship or some place where you can see if it's something that fits. No. Cool. Well, thanks a lot, man. I really yeah. appreciate it. Um, and so if, if anybody is interested in the book, which I highly yeah. suggest it, um, where, where would you be able to find it? Yeah, so uh, the book is called Baggage, Confessions of a Globetrotting Hypochondriac. It's available everywhere books are sold. Um, I think in the UK, though, unfortunately, it's not coming out for maybe like a month and a half or something. Okay, uh, that's fine. So probably very close because it probably won't be another two weeks until this oh, podcast yeah, gets so out. So it might be perfect timing. It might be perfect timing. <laughs> but uh, that's just the print edition. Already in the UK, you can get the e-reader. Um, okay. and, the, and there's an audio book too, which oh, uh, awesome. people are saying is really, you know, uh, it's read by a professional, you know, uh, voice actor. David he does Attenborough? An incredible, no, not David. <laughs> That'd be awesome. No, he does an incredible job though. Um, so you can get it right now on e-reader and, and audio, and then it's going to be available, you know, wherever books are sold, like you can get it on Amazon, of course you can get it, but you can also order it from your local bookshop. You know, that would be a great way to support local books. Um, so you know, anywhere, anywhere. I've had people in Indonesia already get it on on audio. So yeah, you know, if you're if you're interested in the book, if it sounds like you're kind of jam, uh, you can you can definitely find it. And you can definitely. just go to my website too, and it has all the information too. Okay, cool. And your website's uh, JeremyHance.com. JeremyHance.com. H-A-N-C-E. Okay. Yeah. that we are slow with our podcast production sometimes. <laughs> if this that comes out any time in dig November... At you, Max, specifically. I was just, you know, trying to, trying to motivate you. If it, I'll get this out in November, probably. <laughs> and also cool that it's um, an audiobook, because I don't read as much as I audiobook these yeah. days, so... Yeah, I think it's really important that people talk about mental illness and travel um, and how, you know, we can learn from each other of different ways of dealing with it i guess because it shouldn't stop you from traveling yeah yeah i feel like so many of the things i've i know so many people that have benefited from travel and i guess it's a shame to think there are people out there who have a harder time or don't do it because they think that their mental illness is too much of a barrier and the fact that he shows how he overcomes it step by step you know like gradually and then takes control i think it's inspiring for other people who may think that they don't have the skills to do that at this stage hmm well, folks, stay tuned with us. We got another amazing uh, podcast coming up next week oh, or yeah. next month. Blast or kind from the of past. Whenever, yes, this is going to be an older one. This is one of the ones we, we originally started with, and they are the original Gangster digital travelers. nomads, I would say. <laughs> yeah, no, they're they're amazing, amazing people. They uh, were digital nomads before things were digital. Before things were digital, exactly. Yeah, they, like they, nomads? Yeah, they, <laughs> they are a cool couple, and they have also traveled around the world, and so we're going to get their view on it. Um, and all that so stay tuned for that then bye everybody the global conversation is self-produced and made by becca marsh maximilian white and myself joel chevalier
If you have any questions or comments or just want to get in contact with us in general, you're welcome to do so via info at globalconvoy.com or just look us up on Facebook or Instagram. If you know anyone who has amazing stories or is just an epic person in general, please get in contact with us and let us know your ideas. And as always, thank you for listening.